I'm Brett from Heinemann. What drew you to teaching? Author Cornelius Miner says that no matter how we all got here, we all have a few things in common. For starters, we all want better. And that's why Cornelius came to education. In a special read-aloud edition of the Heinemann podcast, Cornelius reads from the introduction of his new book, We Got This, Equity, Access, and the Quest to Be Who Our Students Need Us to Be. Here now is Cornelius Miner with his introduction titled, We All Want Better. There were a few things about the United States of America that assaulted my senses almost as soon as I stepped off the plane for the first time. The sun did not shine with the equatorial intensity that I was used to. The sound of English being spoken without the usual Liberian musicality required my ears to do more work, and my parents seemed to become fiercer versions of themselves. They trusted nothing, behaving as if everything in this new land could kill me. The usual reminder, I love you, son, came bundled with stern warnings like, do not talk to strangers and stay close to the apartment and hold my hand. Though I was too young to understand why, I was able to surmise that to my tough West African parents, all of those things were some version of love. Love can be strange. Back then, everything was. I was an elementary school student from Liberia, and I did not understand a lot of what was going on around me. I had so much to learn then. I still do now. I grew up in a home that my parents fortified with light, laughter, and love against the terrifyingly unknown aspects of our new country that were gathering right outside of the apartment door. My parents knew little about hamburgers, comic books, video games, and hip-hop. Much to their confusion, these were the things that became my new nationality. In our home, the typical pre-adolescent battles that should have been waged over remembering one's chores were instead fought over the fact that for a time, I abandoned jollof rice for Happy Meals, Anansi for Spider-Man, and High Life for hip-hop. My parents would not have it. Each day, they would see to it that I ate proper Liberian meals. They would tell me stories until my sides hurt from laughter, and my mother's hi-fi cassette tapes poured Liberian soul into every room of the house. My mother and father reminded me constantly that I would always be Liberian, that I would always be me. Stop trying so hard to be them, Cornelius. They are great in their own way. You are great in yours. As an educator in a system that feels like it can sometimes value compliance over creativity, I remember those words often. We are asked to do a lot in this work. This does not bother me. We are here to do great things. What concerns me is that given the profound challenges that we face in the classroom, we are most frequently asked to try really hard to be them. We are asked to be them when our responses to children are dictated by what the curriculum allows as opposed to what kids need. We are asked to be them any time we are asked to adopt a classroom stance that does not honor multiple ways of being, knowing, and communicating. We are asked to be them when we are told to work in ways that are blind to the context of family, community, culture, power, and oppression. As educators, we know that we find much of our power in collaborative work. 
When our ways of seeing children, planning for them, facilitating opportunities, and reflecting on those experiences are informed by what we learn from each other, all kids benefit. Being our brilliant, passionate, and creatively flawed selves is hard. We invent things, try them, and make mistakes. Our successes are not overnight, and the work required to get to them can feel imperfect. When we are not being assaulted by our lack of sleep, we are besieged by the guilt, fear, and uncertainty that are often associated with not always having the answer. In loving response to this, there are movements in our profession that seek an alluring kind of uniformity, one that promises to make this work easier by rooting it in a fidelity to mandate that threatens to homogenize us into a collective them. Love can be strained, but we don't have to be that. We don't have to be them. You, friend, are already great in your own way, and I think that we can be great together. No matter what drew us to teaching or how we got here, we all have a few things in common. To start, we all want better. The paths that we have chosen to actualize better are as varied as our expertise, our backgrounds, our communities, and our schools. Still, we as a profession are united in the reality that we want better experiences for children and young adults. We want them to have access to art, music, and movement. We want them to know more science and math and history. We have done everything in our power to create opportunities for them to read well, think critically, and write expressively. I know this. I also know the world that I see outside my window, and I am not okay with it at all. I know that the things we want for children cannot happen optimally if kids attend schools that are under-equipped to serve them or their communities. Growing up, I knew that my ability to make and sustain a life for myself was intimately connected to my teacher's ability to authentically see me, a relative outsider, and to effectively teach me. Many of them excelled at this, but as my friends and I matured, it became clear that schools, no matter what they profess, simply function to perpetuate the inequities already present in the communities that house them. Some communities have been crippled by poverty or robbed of access to opportunity by de facto segregation and by policy. Others have been rendered silent by selective empathy, complacency, or apathy. Hard work, creativity, and honesty were the norm in my neighborhood. They are in most places, but the rewards for those things, opportunity, access, social mobility, were often reserved for the rich kids on the other side of our town. It is probably like this in your town. I want better. That is why I came to education. I wanted to teach kids how to write well. Beyond that, I wanted to teach them how to spin those words into opportunity, into capital, and into freedom. I taught for years, first in the Bronx, New York, and then in Brooklyn. During that time, I became obsessed with the question, what does it mean to be appropriately equipped to serve a community and its most precious resource, its children? That question and the journey that I've been on since asking it drive this book. My job has changed over the years, but my pursuit remains the same. I am still learning what it means to be appropriately equipped with not just the resources, but the content knowledge, the teaching methods, the interpersonal skills, the social consciousness, and the kind of audacious attitude required to serve children powerfully. Currently, I am a staff developer. I work with teachers in classrooms all over the world. I have worked with thousands of students and hundreds of teachers across over 35 school districts representing countries on five continents. And I know one thing for sure. There is no single answer. 
I'm encountering all kinds of things on my journey. I know that our work is curricular, always, but it is also interpersonal and political. I cannot teach kids to write or to do math or art or history or coding with content alone. Education should function to change outcomes for whole communities. And if I'm serious about community building, I've got to invest regularly and wholly in the people, the relationships, and the mechanisms that form the community. It takes time and serious imagination to learn how to do that. In this book, we get to do that together. I always thought that when I sat to write the intro to my own book, somehow this would mean that I had made it. Though I've come a long way from sneaking 99 cent cheeseburgers into my parents' house, I don't have the sense of relief that I thought I would have at this point in my career. Stepping off the plane over 30 years ago, I was just learning to see people, things, and experiences that were different than me. 18 years ago, I was just learning how to really see an entire classroom. I was teaching myself to see each child in it, to see each kid's talents and personal aspirations, and to see the hopes handed to the students by their communities. This was beautiful work made complicated when I also was forced to regard and participate in the scholastic, institutional, and social mechanisms that kill opportunity for so many students. My career has been defined by my attempt to bridge the enormous gulf between the promises of education and the actual lived experiences of so many of my students. We as a profession have been forced to surf the tension between what should be and what is. Now, I don't just see my classroom. Because of my work with children and teachers, I get to see into classrooms across town and over oceans. Because I've actually shared classrooms, lesson plans, failures, and triumphs with many of your fellow teachers, I know what you have come to know. And I know that you feel this tension too. I am still ill at ease with the world. My senses are still under assault from some of the things that we experience. This is a strange feeling that imposes a particularly uneasy consciousness. Most days I move through the world wearing a complicated smile. I love my students, my colleagues, and my work, but I don't love the reality that for all we know about thinking and learning, we have not turned our knowing into universally equitable access to opportunity for all of the students that we serve. I am not okay with the world where only some people, the ones who were born on the right side of town, or the ones who happen to make the right friends get a shot at success. You aren't either. As teachers, we cannot guarantee outcomes that all kids will start businesses, lead their families, and contribute in their communities. But we can guarantee access. We can ensure that everyone gets a shot. Consider this a manual for how to begin that brilliantly messy work. We got this. Our thanks to Cornelius for his time today. We'll be sharing more from Cornelius on the Heinemann podcast in the coming weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. You can find Cornelius on Twitter at Mr. Minor. You can also read a sample of what he read today, his introduction, and the rest of the sample chapter of We Got This, as well as blogs and videos and more at Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.